morning. Dear Lord, we come before you this morning to praise you. Lord, we come before you this morning to thank you, to celebrate you. And Lord, we come before you this morning to plead with you. Lord, as we look out into the world and, and um, we see tragedy and we see sin and we see death, uh, Lord, we long for something that can rescue us from, uh, from those things, that can rescue us from the evil of this world. And Lord, as we look at uh, the tragedies that happened in Waukesha, Wisconsin, and, and uh, just recently in, uh, at Oxford High School, um, just right down the road from us, Lord, these are terrible, terrible things that have happened. And, and because of these things, there are, there are people who are mourning. There are people that are suffering. There are people who are crying out for uh, respite. They're crying out for peace and for comfort. And Lord, we know here that uh, you are the only one who can bring respite and, and peace and, and comfort from the things of this world. You are the only one who can rescue us from this world, and, and you've come to, to do that. And so, Lord, as we uh, think about these, these terrible tragedies happening um, pretty close to us, uh, Lord, um, Lord, as the friends and families of the victims are, are seeking peace and comfort, Lord, we pray that, uh, that they would turn to you. Lord, as the friends and families of the perpetrators are also uh, seeking comfort and and peace and understanding in these things, Lord, we pray that they would turn to you for those things. Lord, you are the only one that we look to this morning. And I pray that as we gather together to sing your praises, to read and hear from your word and to pray together, Lord, I pray that you are the only thing that is on our minds today, and that everything that we do and everything that we say this morning, we would do and say those things in order to honor and glorify you. So thank you for bringing us here this Lord, this morning, Lord. Bless our time together. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. At this time, the children can be dismissed for Children's Church. Well, good morning, everyone. Oh, let's give that another shot. Good morning, everyone. That's, hey, that's way better. Thank you. You guys got to outdo the first service, that's for sure. Please take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 2 for our study this morning, Genesis chapter 2. And as a reminder, as you're turning there, uh, we will be having communion later in the service, so make sure you picked up a communion packet. You can, there's still time for you to sneak out and grab one of those so you're prepared for later in the service today. But we're in Genesis chapter 2 as we continue our discussion through the beginning of all things. And on chapter 2, verse 4 is where we'll start through the end of this chapter. And here we have Moses writing to us about things that took place at the very beginning. He writes in verse 4, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. But no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of, of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. 
And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. And the name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the crown the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. May the Lord add his blessing at the hearing and the reading of his word this morning. Well, all of us are longing to get the most out of life. However, many of us are struggling with finding it. We seek after God, but he seems so far away. We pray, and it seems our prayers hit the ceiling and don't go anywhere or accomplish anything. So we cry out to God with what we're longing for, and it just seems that we've been abandoned, and we question, God, are you even there? Along with this, we are constantly being consumed by our own consumerism. It seems as though we never have enough or that we are always wanting more. For some, this is very difficult as they are living from paycheck to paycheck. Where is the money for that huge medical bill going to come from? How will we be able to afford groceries for this month? Family arguments ensue about provision. Things end up being blown out of proportion. You mean you ate the last cereal? Thanks. You took the last cookie? You used the last toilet paper roll? Thank you. Things like that. Out of this, we are constantly faced with moral dilemmas all around us. Should I borrow some supplies from work? No one will miss this stuff anyway. What does it matter if I don't tell my spouse the whole truth? I'll just pretend that everything's okay when I know that they're not. Well, I wish I had their job. Why don't I ever get any of the breaks? 
Lastly, to add insult to injury, we wrestle with issues related to sexual intimacy. And people start thinking desperately when they're so lonely. I feel so alone, perhaps I should just hook up with her tonight, and I won't feel so bad. Or perhaps my wife's never available to me. I'll just handle things my way. Hey, it's okay to look as long as you don't touch, right? And as we know, looking can easily lead to touching. Over against all of these frustrations, God comes to us and simply says, can't you see everything that I've made for you? Can't you see the provision and the direction I've put in place for you? As we'll see today in our study, from the very beginning, God created an incredible world for us. It is God's good earth. And we might ask, well, what kind of a world did God create? Well, God's good earth is a place where we can be in a close relationship with him, where we have access to all that we need, where we can know what he wants us to do, and where we can be in an intimate relationship with someone of the opposite sex. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, it starts out, these are the generations. I actually came across this word in the first part of this verse, generations, quite accidentally years ago. A long time ago, I was a State Farm Insurance agent in Wisconsin, and I had hired a young gal who had a finance degree from a junior college to be my office manager. And again, she came from a background of Catholicism. She knew some religiosity. She knew some things about God, about Jesus. And as we're talking, I'm trying to explain to her about the authenticity, the accuracy, the reliability of all the Bible, especially the Old Testament accounts. And she says, no, those, those, that, those things didn't actually take place. Those are just stories to encourage our hearts to follow God more faithfully. I said, no, Melissa, these things actually took place. This is a historical document. It's not just stories. No, they're just stories, she went on. It didn't really happen. And so I'm trying to, in my mind, trying to figure out, you know, how can I help her understand what this book is exactly, this Bible? And I said, well, uh, you believe that there's a person named Jesus, right? You believe that there's a Jesus? Well, she's a good Catholic. Well, yeah, Jesus existed. Okay, grant you that. Well, do you believe that Jesus was Jewish? Uh, well, yeah, I believe that he's Jewish and decided, you know, descended from the line of the Jews. Okay, so then you would believe that there's a guy named Solomon who was who is the son of David, King David of Israel. Do you believe there's a King David who wrote most of the Psalms, this beautiful you know, words in the Bible? Do you believe that David existed and he had a boy named Solomon? Well, yeah, I believe that you know, there's a King David and Solomon. Okay, sure. Okay, well then, and he's the son of Jesse, right? And if you follow his line, he's really a descendant of, of Judah, who is the son of Jacob, who's the son of Isaac, who's the son of Abraham. Do you believe those people actually existed and, and were real people in history? She goes, well, yeah, I believe that. Well, now I got her back to chapter 12 of Genesis, right? And I was thinking in my mind, where do you draw the line between chapter 1 and chapter 12 where these are just stories? And of course, she didn't want to hear any of this, right? She was a little frustrated with me. So I went home for lunch, and I'm thinking about these things, and I grab my Bible, and first of all, I'm trying to find like uh, Old Testament uh, quotes that Jesus would have made, like if Jesus could validate what, you know, Genesis account, which he does a few times, and that would have been helpful, 
But in my, in my looking around and studying a little bit, I ran across this word, generations. And I kind of did a search. I grabbed my ginormous Strong's Concordance and looked up generations. And I looked, and it, in Genesis, the word generations shows up all over the place. And it's the Hebrew word, toledoth. And I'm looking at this, and I'm wondering, well, what is this word, why does this word keep showing up all over the place in the book of Genesis? So I got my Bible dictionary out, and I opened that up, and I looked up generations, and the other word you could use is account. And so let's have the word up there. There it is, toledoth is the Hebrew word. It literally means descent, family history, birth record, generations, birth, descendants, results, proceedings, genealogies, account of men and their descendants, genealogical list of one's descendants. Oh, that's what it is. It's a birth record. You ever wonder why people, like they have those big ginormous family Bibles, and you know, in there they keep track of who was born, who died and everything. And uh, right, because that's what it is. That's what this book is. It's, a, it, it's to keep track of the generations. Matter of fact, you get in the Bible where you start reading about these generations and so-and-so begot so-and-so and so-and-so begot so-and-so in your devotions. You're like, well, that's boring. I'm going to move on to something else. I'd like to point out to you that's the most important part because that speaks of the generations leading us all the way to the Redeemer who is Christ, which is where it comes down to. Take a look at this, all these words here. Go ahead, pull the next slide, please. Please. Thank you. So here they are. The first one is 2-4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth. Then 5-1-6-9-10-1-11-10-11-27. This is the book of the generations of Adam, generations of Noah, generations of the sons of Noah, of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, generations of Shem, and so on. Next slide. 25-12, all the way to 37-2. These are the generations of Ishmael, Isaac, Esau, Esau, Jacob, all the way right here, Matthew 1-1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Kaboom! I'm like, I've got her now. So I went back to my office and I brought my, my concordance, my Bible, and my dictionary. And I brought it back. I said, Melissa, I've got to show you what I just found. By the way, what I was sharing with her with what I just found apparently is something every good theologian already knows. So I, I thought I discovered something fantastic. And everybody already knows this apparently except for me. So anyway, I take this and I show it to her. I said, Melissa, look at this. You see, this book, is, it's, it's an account of actual people who actually lived. It's a birth record pointing all the way to Christ. And as I'm sharing this with her, she starts crying. I'm like, oh, no. You know, she's going to sue me because, like, I'm her boss. And, you know, now I'm badgering her, you know, about her religion or whatever. I'm like, oh, no. I'm like, Melissa, what's wrong? You know, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make you cry. What's wrong? And she simply cheerfully said, why hasn't anyone ever showed me this before? Yeah. Unbelievable. This is what we're dealing with with this text when we get to these are the generations. Understand that Toledos statement. The Toledos act in the book of Genesis like hinges between various panels of information about what's coming. So initially we have the creation account, right? But with with just you know two four here with this Toledoth and the generations of Genesis two four that begins the whole fall account with the fall is dead center with the promise of a coming redeemer in three fifteen, 
and it ends with the next Toledoth in 5.1. That's the whole fall panel. And then you have the next panel that talks about the flood, and you have the next panel that just keeps going on and adds another panel of information in terms of these generations that lead ultimately to the genealogy of Christ. So now you've got Genesis organized in a way that you've never seen before, I hope, by his grace. It says in verse 4, these are the generations of the heaven and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the, the ground. So we're getting information here and you kind of go, well, why are we hearing this this way? Didn't we already get a description of the creation? Well, this is very Hebraic, very Jewish. With chapter one of Genesis, you get an overview of all of creation. Okay, so here's, here's what God did. But now in chapter two, let me give you some of the details. So now we get the details of creation with this account. The Lord God, Yahweh Elohim in the Hebrew. And uh, in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and now we've got more information coming at us. By the way, notice it says there's no rain, but a mist watered the land. And this is consistent with the water vapor canopy that God created on day two with our discussion back on day two when we did that earlier in the fall. Because of the water vapor canopy from day two, the earth enjoyed moderate temperatures from pole to pole by way of an amazing greenhouse effect that doesn't exist to the degree that it did back in the beginning. We're dealing with a different hydrological cycle by way of the climate. But we must remember that all of creation is a miracle. So today I've got four things I want to show you from this passage in Genesis 2. But before we start, let's pray. Let's ask his help. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your goodness to us that we have an opportunity to study your word. Oh God, help us to drink deeply and not shrink back from all that you have for us. This is awesome information. Help us not to miss it. So Lord, thank you for this time that we can study. Draw us to yourself through the power of your Holy Spirit as we encounter your truth. We pray all this for your son's wonderful and awesome name. Amen. So all that I gave you isn't even a part of the message. That was all introductory. So now we're going to actually start the message. Point number one. Okay, here we go. If you have your sermon notes outlined, here's the first truth. God created an incredible world where we can be in close relationship to him. God created an incredible world where we can be in close relationship with him. Look at verse 7. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Beloved, please understand that just as God formed Adam, God formed you. He formed me. There's a lot that has been done in the field of genetics and yet the scientists still don't know how it all works, let alone where life comes from, even from the most basic levels of life. But the scriptures say that we are wonderfully made. Psalm 139, for you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul know it, knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would 
Count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. Here, the very back end of this passage, uh, David starts worshiping here because this is so wonderful to understand. You are fearfully and wonderfully made by God from the depths of the earth. He's known you. He's woven you together. Notice that uh, we are literally made from the dust. Did you read that? Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground. Quite frankly, Adam, Adam in Hebrew literally means dust boy, okay? So he's a little dust bunny, a little dust boy right there. Most of the human body, of course, is made up of water, if you didn't know, H2O, with cells consisting of 65 to 90% water by weight. Basically, you're a bunch of, you know, pharmacy chemicals, uh, just add water. There you are, a human being. It isn't surprising that most of a human body's mass is just oxygen because of all the water, H2O and hydrogen. Carbon, the basic unit for organic molecules, comes in second place. 99% of the mass of the human body is made up of just six elements, oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, calcium, and don't forget to add the phosphorus. That's important. From the beginning, Adam had a close relationship with God. From the very beginning here, well, how close? Did you read what it said? God breathed into his nostrils. That's pretty close. How physical was this? You know, we kind of imagine when we read this as some ethereal thing that God like blew way over there into his nose. Maybe it was way closer than we think. The scriptures refer to this phenomena as being face to face with God. Literally, nose to nose. In the Hebrew, the, the phrase face to face when you say something about someone's face, you talk about their nose. Okay, it's a big, good Jewish thing to do. You talk about their nose. Panim is nose. And so you're panim, panim, face to face with God. Nose to nose, literally. Jacob, you'll recall, mentioned seeing God face to face in Genesis 32, 30. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, right? That's off of the word panim. Basically called it the face of God. The nose of God, if you will saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. That's how Jacob saw it. It was said of Moses that he spoke with God face to face. Exodus 33, 11, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Panim, panim, nose to nose. Here it appears that Adam was literally panim, panim, that is nose to nose with God. Here we have Adam literally nose to nose with God as God breathed life into Adam. Is this perhaps a a pre-incarnate Christ? It's possible. Called a Christophany in the scriptures. We ask the question with Jacob, for example, who did Jacob wrestle with in Genesis chapter 32? Well, the next morning he proclaimed after wrestling with God nose to nose, he said, I've wrestled with God. You'll recall Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego ran into a Christophany where someone showed up in the fiery furnace with them, a, a man who was, seemed like uh, the son of God or the son of man in some respect. So God created an incredible world where we can be in close relationship with him. The question is, are you in close relationship with Christ? Are you in close relationship with God Are you face-to-face with him this morning? Secondly, God created an incredible world where we have access to all that we need. Everything you need is on this planet for what he has for you by his sheer grace toward all of us. 
Notice what it said in verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. And we have these four rivers, the Pishon, uh, the first is Pishon, it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havla, where there is gold, and the gold of the land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It's the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the, the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. First of all, here, God provided an incredible home for us on this planet. Home. Adam's home initially is Eden. Eden literally means in the Hebrew pleasure. God provided an incredible home filled with enjoyment and pleasure. And by the way, don't forget this. Having a home is a place of great blessing in scripture. The alternative to be in rebellion against God is to find yourself wandering where you have no home. The theme of the Old Testament, that those who follow God are given a place to live. Those who rebel are consigned to wandering. If you will, in some cases, running for their life. Cain wanders, I'm sorry, Cain murders and is consigned to wandering. He, he murders Abel. The nation of Israel rebelled and they end up being consigned to wander for 40 years. Beloved, you want to have a place where it's home. Not only that, but God provided food for us all the food that's pleasing to the eye and delicious. There's talk of the tree of life, this incredible tree you could eat from where you'd ever live. That's what was designed from the very beginning. And by the way, that idea still is out there. There's somewhere on the planet where I could find something to eat or something to drink and I'll ever live. But remember, the way to Eden has been blocked by an angelic being with a flaming sword flashing every which way. You can't get there. Of course, Ponce de Leon thought he could. He came to the new world looking for the fountain of youth, right? The same idea. These kinds of ideas, trying to find eternal life somehow. It still resonates with us. But don't forget, one day we'll have access to this tree. We've been cut off from it for our own good. God has allowed death so that we don't have to live in eternity with sin. But now we can be released from this body of this death. We can be released from sin through death and be born again, raised to new life in Christ through faith in him. And we'll see this tree of life in the future. Revelation 22.1 says this, Then the angel showed me the river, the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, <laughs> the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face. Ah, there's that idea of his face. And his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever, which is a super long time. In the beginning, God created a world that was designed for ongoing, never-ending life. And we were the ones who messed it up through our own rebellion. 
But not only that, God provided refreshing waters for us. These four river names, two of which disappear after the flood. All that's left is the Tigris and the Euphrates as the landscape and the topography was changed after the great flood. But not only that, but God provided treasure for us, precious materials, stones, metals, gold, delium, onyx. God created an incredible world where we have access to all that we need. Everything we need is here. Why? That's how we made it. But thirdly today, God created an incredible world where we can know what he wants us to do. God's not trying to play a shell game with us, like, well, yeah, here, I'm going to create you, and you got to figure out what to do. No, I, he's going to tell us exactly what we should do. Notice what it says in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to do what? To work it and to keep it. We're called to cultivate this incredible planet, to work it and to keep it. That is to take care of it, tend it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. This is not really confusing. This is pretty easy to figure out. We are called to cultivate and keep the earth. All of us have various jobs, pieces of employment, whether it's education, whether it's nursing, whether it's finance, uh, whether it's uh, fixing stuff as a, a, a home builder. We all have things to do that we're cultivating and helping each other on this planet. That's how God designed it. We're called to follow God's moral law. In this case, the moral law was don't eat of that one tree, would you not? We talked about the creation ordinances last week, right? About how we should be fruitful and multiply, that we're to cultivate the earth, we're to rule, we're to rest, we're to be married, all these things he laid out for us, which is awesome. And we should be about that positively. The negative listing, which reflects the positive, shows up in Exodus 20 by way of the Ten Commandments. This is God's moral law. By the way, every, ten com every commandment out of those ten reflects and supports the first five creation ordinances. I can show that to you. It's amazing. But then I'll have, you know, a, a young kid come out of high school. And he's like, man, I'm just trying to, trying to figure out what God's will is for my life. And, you know, they have this idea, and sometimes we get the same idea this, that somehow out there God's will is some point out there, and I got to get to that point. And when I get there, then I'll be in God's will, and everything will be awesome. By the way, it can, you can be in God's will and not be awesome, by the way. Can we talk to Job for a second? Where God, you know, ultimately can bring about in his will a sovereign calamity for what he's purposing to accomplish in your world and your life, and that's okay? So, you know, this young person's like, well, I just know what college, which, what, you know, what's God's will, which college I should go to? And I'm like, well, which college do you want to go to? Well, I want to go to that one. Well, then go there. Go there. Notice how much freedom Adam and Eve have in the garden. Live it up. Live it up in the garden. Just don't eat of that one tree, would you not? Because the day you do, you're going to die. That's the deal. All over the place in Scripture, this is what God says. Romans 6.23 for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Genesis 3.19, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, right? Dust boy? Yeah, that's right. Till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. Why? For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. 
Every funeral I've ever done, I've always said, we're at the graveside, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. So that we could be raised to new life in Christ. Ezekiel 18.4, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul whose sins shall die. Any questions? Ezekiel 18.20, The soul whose sins shall die. Over and over again it says it. Romans 5.12, Therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, God had created it awesome, but now sin brings death. God created an incredible world where he can where we can know what he wants us to do. Of course, we want to mess things up. We pursue our own interests. And we see the progression of sin in James 1.15. Desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Oh, don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. And by the way, that's the, that's the huge lie that Satan's going to give Eve in chapter 3 where he says, hey, when you eat the fruit, you're not going to die. Paul reminds us, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This incredible world that he made for us where we can know exactly what he wants us to do if we just trust him. Lastly, don't miss this. God created an incredible world where we can be in an intimate relationship with someone of the opposite sex. In verse 18, we see the first crisis of creation where it says the Lord God said it's not good that the man should be alone. But it's okay in light of the crisis, God has a solution for the crisis. God made woman perfectly designed to be man's perfectly fit helper. God says to Adam, I will make him a helper fit for him. I've got a solution. And now God demonstrates Adam's need Verse 19, now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. By the way, in and of itself, that's amazing. Here he's naming every creature. This is Adam naming every creature. Can you come up with a new name for anything? I can't. Naming things with meaning. It wasn't just blah, blah, blah. It, was, it meant something. Maybe he was like using all of his brain. Some people say we're only using like 5 to 10% now. Let's see what it would be like to use 100% of that thing. Apparently, prior to the fall, Adam had his right mind and perhaps access to all of it. After the fall, he became quite dense. And now we're all affected the same. But God shows Adam his need in verse 20. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field, but for Adam... There was not found a helper fit for him. So the first woman is created. God creates woman from man's side. Notice the beauty of this context. God creates woman from man's side, not from his head, so that the man could lord it over her, or from his feet, that she should be trampled underfoot. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs right from his side, right? And closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. At which point we have now the first wedding. The first wedding ceremony of all creation. And of course, who gives away the bride? God the Father does. It says in the text in verse 22 that God brought her to the man. 
You can imagine God bringing her to the man and saying, hey, well, check this out, would you? And the man is like, that's awesome. We see the first vows in verse 23 as the man makes this proclamation, she at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. There's finally a solution for what was missing. No one fit me, but this one does fit me. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. In the Hebrew, it's quite beautiful. She shall be called Isha because she was taken out of Ish. And then we have the first pronouncement. Man and wife, verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. How beautiful this is. Now, for some, there is such a thing as the Apostle Paul teaches on the gift of singleness, but that's more rare than it is normative. But if you need to be married, then you should be praying you should be praying for your spouse. You should be praying, if, if you're a young man, you should be praying for a wog. You should be praying for a woman of God. <laughs> if you're a young lady, you should be praying for a mog. You should be praying for a man of God, someone who, who loves Jesus as much as you do, if not more so. I've got a pastor friend of mine out in Wyoming for you young people. He says, don't date the dead. Don't date the spiritually dead. You should be equally yoked with someone who loves Jesus as much as you do, if not more so. Those who want to be married, you need to understand that if you're longing to be married, they're looking for you just as much as you're looking for them, longing to find fulfillment and oneness. Beloved, from the very beginning, God created an incredible world for us. Is a place where we can be in close relationship with him, where we have access to all that we need, where we can know what he wants us to do, and where we can be in an intimate relationship with someone of the opposite sex. This is awesome. It is God's good earth. You see, we really can get the most out of life, even in this life, but only through Christ. Through faith in Christ, you can be in a close relationship with God. He really does hear your prayers. Through faith in Christ, all that you need will be added unto you. He owns it all, and he will most certainly supply your need as you walk with him. Through faith in Christ, you can know what God wants you to do. Ours is yet to trust and obey, which is one of my favorite songs. And through faith in Christ, God may grant you an intimate relationship with someone of the opposite sex. I hope if you're not married, you're praying for a mog or for a wog for you. Remember one young man we were working with years ago who came to Christ and he desperately wanted to be married. And uh, we kind of made up a fictional, you know, bride name for him, started having fun with him with that. But, you know, she just didn't come, she just didn't come, she just didn't come. This young man, he waited eight years. And he was faithful and he learned obedience. He learned purity in that process. And eight years later, he was married. And it's beautiful. Are you willing to wait for what God has for you? I just ask you this morning, are you seeking his face? Are you trusting in him for what he has for you? Are you walking in obedience with him? If you're married, are you becoming the man or woman of God that God wants you to be for your spouse? If you're unmarried, are you waiting? Are you becoming who you need to be for your future spouse?
important things. As we turn to the Lord's table this morning, I was reminded of what Paul wrote in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, for now we see in a mirror dimly. You know, right now as we look at our world, it just, we just, things seem kind of dim, sometimes quite dark, right, with what's going on. C.S. Lewis talks about the idea that we're living in the shadowlands where we just, we can't quite see clearly. Why? Because of sin and rebellion. But Paul says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, how? Face to face, aha, then Panim, panim, we'll, we'll see him nose to nose. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I've been fully known. That's a beautiful thought. I, I'll finally know what I've been longing to know about who he is and what he's about to the degree that I've already been fully known to him already. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. As God demonstrated his love to us through laying down the life of his son on our behalf. Here at Oakwood Bible Church, we have an open communion table. By this is meant that all those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior are so very welcome to participate in the two simple elements of the bread and the cup. The bread which represents the body of Christ, which was broken for us. And the cup which represents the blood of Christ which was shed on our behalf in full payment for all of our sin once and for all. If you have children with you this morning, make sure they understand the gospel and that they've made a profession of faith. And if they have, then we encourage them to take part with us. If they haven't, then I encourage you to let the elements pass till such time as they've made a profession of faith. The Apostle Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthians, issues this admonition to all who consider partaking in the bread and the cup. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. The key word in this admonition is the word examine. Let a person examine himself before participating. The, the Greek word here is dokimazo. And dokimazo literally means to test, to examine, to prove, to scrutinize, to see whether a thing is genuine or not. If you're going to examine yourself, we're examining ourselves, we're proving to ourselves, scrutinizing ourselves to see if in and of ourselves we are genuine about our faith in Christ. In other words, are you truly in Christ? Have you given your life completely to him? And if so, then join us. Have you placed your faith and trust in him? Join us in this celebration. If on the other hand, you've not placed your faith in him, we don't want to ask you to participate in something that you don't even believe in. We don't want you to somehow exercise hypocrisy. If you haven't given your life to Christ, we don't want you to participate in something you've never given yourself to. So have you invited Christ to be your Savior? If not, let the elements pass as a witness to you, as Scripture says. But better yet would be for you to turn away from the direction you've been going and turn to Christ in faith for your salvation. 
Receive him as your Lord and Savior, even right now. Invite him into your heart. Don't wait a moment longer. And then please freely join us in this remembrance. So let's open these communion packets right now. And there's a top layer. It's got the wafer in there. And then the bottom layer. Let's make all the noise right now together. We're going to make it later. And as we prepare to partake the bread and the cup, please uh, hold both elements. We will then thank uh, the Lord for the bread and cup separately. During this time of preparation, I encourage you to be in prayer, examining your own heart before God, seeking his forgiveness and deliverance, renewing your commitment to him, and remembering with thanksgiving his sacrifice for you on the cross as he paid your penalty for all of your sins once and for all. So let's take a, a moment of silence and just reflect on these things before we participate together. Would you please pray aloud with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As Paul has written to the church at Corinth, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I've asked Elder Jordan Besser to pray for the bread which was broken for us. God, we are grateful for your son that he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Jesus, you are the bread of life, and those who partake of you will never hunger or thirst, and we are grateful for that. We pray at this time that you would just Bless these elements as we remember your sacrifice for our sins. We are just grateful that through them we can come and be with you. It's in the wonderful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Please take and eat. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I've asked Elder Travis Hegner to pray for the cup which was poured out for us. Our Father in heaven, 
We're so grateful for the sacrifice that you made for us. That you willingly chose to go and, and shed, your shed your blood, which was poured out on our behalf, to cover our sins and to make us whole so that we might be with the Father once again. Lord, I ask that you would bless the elements today and bless each of us as we leave here and help us to shine your light and spread your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Please take and drink. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And now, Lord, as we go, we pray that we go with encouragement from what we've heard from your word today with this incredible world that you've made for us. We know exactly what we need to do. You've provided everything we need, and we can be in a relationship with you in an ongoing way through faith in Christ. So, Lord, bless us as we go. And as Travis just mentioned, Lord, help us to be a light in a dark world. Help us to bring joy and grace to people who are longing to be loved and cared for. Thank you, Lord. We want to give you all the praise today. We pray this in your son's wonderful and awesome name. And all God's people said, amen. Have a fantastic week. Thanks so much for coming.